Today on the podcast, we're doing something a little different where instead of me being the host, I am being joined by the new host and I will be the subject of the interview. We're going to go through my background in cryptocurrency, my take on the market, you know, where is all of this blockchain development headed? And the guest host for today's podcast is actually my wife. And so she has been through my entire cryptocurrency journey with me. And Lindsay, welcome to the BSC News Podcast. You're listening to the BSC News Podcast, the leader in decentralized finance on the Binance Smart Chain. Here's your host, Ben Antes. It's so good to be here. Right, I guess I should be saying thank you for having me on. It's great to be here as well. <laughs> You're very welcome. So I feel like we need to give a little background. The background is we have this idea based on some misinformation floating around Twitter amongst people who are not familiar with cryptocurrency or are only tangentially familiar with cryptocurrency and have no idea what it is or how it works, which I personally relate to a lot because I've been listening to crypto related things for years now, and I still feel like I don't understand it. So we're going to go through um, basically crypto for dummies. And All right. <laughs> I want you to explain everything to me like I'm five. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you do that? I will try my best. <laughs> you don't sound very confident. Okay. Um, so firstly, I'm going to start with your background. Um, how did you discover crypto? When did you discover crypto? How did you end up in this sphere to begin with? So in 2013, I actually came across Bitcoin mining. And I back then you can mine with a laptop. And so I didn't really understand at all what it was. And, but, you know, I like mined for a day or two with my laptop and then I was like, this is stupid, which in hindsight was a regret. Wait a minute. You mined Bitcoin in 2013 with your laptop? Yeah. So we have Bitcoin somewhere. I have no idea. How to get to it. <laughs> you saw my wheels turning. I, I've tried. There's a, I don't know how it even worked. I don't know what program I used. It was, I think it was like web hosted. Cool. So I probably mined Bitcoin and some company ended up taking it is my guess, or it's just part of the trapped amount of Bitcoin that no one has access to. And I have no idea if it's a quarter of a Bitcoin or five Bitcoin or what. So. That's mildly disappointing. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. Continue. Um, so then I was like, this is stupid. And now I guess fast forward to 2017, like late 2017. And it was showing up again because Bitcoin was pumping like crazy. And so I was like, okay, this is interesting again, right? I'll pay attention to this. And I actually bought XRP during that just euphoria phase. And what is XRP? Ripple. Okay. It's just another cryptocurrency. Okay. And it pumped like, you know, really well for a little while, but we, we didn't put much money in. This is like right after we got married. Oh. And, <laughs> okay. Um, and then it all like fell apart again. But then I started learning you know so now it's like going to the beginning of 2018 and it, within that, that few months of you know i got interested again i started if you remember uh mining ethereum and ravencoin in my office mm -hmm. uh so i didn't have to pay for electricity so that was a good move yeah and and then it just became like an obsession 
would be the easiest descriptive term where, so I was mining and to me, it was all about like, how do I make money off of this? I didn't really have the hodl mentality, right? The hold on for dear life. It was more like, I want to make money and I'm learning more and more about how this stuff works. So started mining, put together, you know, a decent sized rig and then started looking into trading bots and still trying to figure out how to make money. And, and, you know, let's say that went on for, I guess, all the way through 2020. And then at that point, I, I had a really good understanding of the fundamentals and purpose of what blockchain and cryptocurrency is all about. And then I discovered, uh, I guess you would say Ethereum DeFi, which was a new super cool way from my perspective to turn this into an income stream. And I know you like, I'm sure you remember where I'd be excited because off of a thousand dollars we're making, you know, 10 to 10 bucks a week or 50 bucks a week. And you're like, wow. So, so impressive. <laughs> and I was like, it's all about percentages. That's all that matters here is return on investment. And still, like, there wasn't a great, like, a lot of that stuff, people remember Ethereum DeFi in the beginning. It was, like, you jump into a project, the APYs just get, like, smashed and lose a lot of money often. The fees were growing and weren't terrible. So then we were looking at, well, I was trying, I, like, stumbled into, like, deeper and deeper into Twitter, probably. And this thing called PancakeSwap was launching on Binance Smart Chain. Now, this would have been September of last year. And I was able to set up, you know, like that MetaMask wallet for Binance Smart Chain. And I figured out how to move funds from Ethereum to BSC. And like really right out of the gate, the first thing was like, holy cow, these fees are nothing. And I remember on PancakeSwap, I was farming cake. And I was just harvesting every hour because it was so cheap. And I know you don't know what I'm talking about. I have no idea. I'm just giving the the story. This is a very deep, (laughs) deep. No, this is just the story here. And so it's still part of like where I got to today, I guess. Can you dumb the story down (laughs) for those like myself? So I figured out how to do DeFi on BSC and uh, started making some nice return there, right? I was making... Let's say, you know, first my goal was 10 bucks a day, and then it was 50 bucks a day, and then it was 100 bucks a day, and kind of kept growing. And I was really figuring out how do you avoid these rug pulls and scams and what's going to work well and what won't. And then really the catalyst for me was actually when we were having our baby. Because as the story goes, Lindsay's hospital wanted her to go back to work after six weeks. And Lindsay did not want to go back to work after six weeks. And Are we allowed to cuss on here? Yeah, that's fine. Lindsay said, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I said, hell no. And so it's like, okay, well, let's think here. How do we replace that income? And at the time, it was uh, Thug Swap was you know, making good return on a number of different assets. And this is also right around the same time Jet Fuel was launching, I think. And it was... Uh, it was for me, it was a math equation of okay, if I need to make X amount of dollars per month to replace your income so we don't take that hit, then I'm gonna go figure out how to do that. And then it all just kind of compounded from there. And, mm-hmm. and then I got hooked up with Greg and Cammy on Twitter and a couple other guys, uh, with Bill Cassidy. And we ended up launching 
BSC News. And then that obviously has been doing great. It's been a lot of fun. And that's kind of where we are now. That was an enlightening journey. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing. I feel like I need to add that I hated Bitcoin for three years. <laughs> I was the epitome of a crypto skeptic until you replaced my income. And then I was like, this is sweet. Let's <laughs> let's continue down this path. Yeah. Um, so my role here today, as much as I possibly can, is going to be playing the devil's advocate because you know that's what I like to do. So I didn't agree to that, but okay. <laughs> I'll challenge the skeptic position. All right. Well, that's what that's where I got the idea because on Twitter, people are very skeptical. Um, and we'll get there, but there's a lot, there's a lot of hate for cryptocurrency. There's a lot of you can't pay your bills with crypto. And I want to be like, but that's neither here nor there. So let's take it back a little bit to some of the lingo that you're using. That's totally over my head. Okay, so. Pretend that I'm five and you're explaining this to me like a child. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, correct? Yes. So how does the structure of all that work? So there's, why don't I just let you explain it? So I've I've seen it explained different ways. So Bitcoin is a blockchain. So it's a... um, Wait a minute. I thought the blockchain is what the coins are built on. No, the coin operates on the blockchain the block so so let's start it just from the base and work our way up okay and this is funny because like i've watched you know dave portnoy when he was at the Winklevoss twins and they gave him like the most ridiculous explanation of bitcoin that obviously left dave portnoy even more confused than he was before like even asked the question mm-hmm. so because i remember listening to the description i'm like what right like that was the most confusing thing ever so to me this like the easiest explanation, and I don't think you could explain this to a five-year-old, by the way. I don't think they have the mental capacity for it. Sometimes I think <clears> Kenneth <throat> understands it better than I do. Maybe. <laughs> he just likes saying Bitcoin bull. <laughs> so Bitcoin is a blockchain. And what the blockchain is, is it's a decentralized ledger of information. And what that means is instead of a like, let's say you have a ledger of information on Google Sheets. And every time there's any transaction done on this ledger, right? Because a ledger is just a record of transactions. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just like, let's say like we're, we're entering in receipts from our bank account and we use Google Sheets to budget. So every time there's a transaction in our bank account, you write down a timestamp of money moved from here to here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what makes blockchain and and in particular bitcoin itself so powerful is that it's not just one person sitting at in front of a computer with google sheets where they can change what happened right like if if you and i had a google sheets uh, record of all our expenses we could go back to last february and just change the data right now what bitcoin does or really what a decentralized blockchain does is it makes it pretty much more or less impossible to change prior data. Because instead of one Google Sheet document up, there's 10,000, right? And all of them are constantly agreeing on what happened in the past. So if you're, if, if let's say I sat there and I was like, I'm going to change the expenses, our expense report last month, the other 9,000 computers would be like, that didn't happen, and they would wipe out my head. 
I have a question. Yes. Okay. So this is the whole idea behind decentralized finance or DeFi, right? We'll get there. So, okay. Kind of. Maybe I'm interrupting, but what I want to know is what makes this new, and it's like revolutionary, right? What's this, what makes this revolutionary concept so appealing? Okay. So now take the characteristics of that blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. And look at it like uh, DeFi is basically a giant financial flea market. Right. Oh, that does not sound appealing. It's very okay. appealing. It's a it's a it's a marketplace where anyone in the world can go exchange assets together. Okay. Um, and one of the big parts of this of what blockchain produces is what you call trustless, meaning if you and I are exchanging something, we don't need to trust each other and know who each other are. Because this blockchain that's constantly recording data guarantees us. Now this doesn't get into the DeFi mechanics, but it gets into why I trust DeFi to work in the uh, fundamentals, right? Okay. Where, so if this blockchain is recording, always knows what's on my, you know, what assets do I own in my wallet? What assets do you own in your wallet? And nobody can edit that because it is a decentralized ledger of information. So when you and I, if, if, you know, if I do an exchange into a DeFi protocol and then I move something new into my ledger, I trust that the next time I pull up that ledger, that information is accurate, right? So like right now, you like I guess in theory with you know, a bank account, you trust that the bank has servers, right? Because all money is digital. Like when, when people say, and this is like a tangent, when people say, like, you can't really touch cryptocurrency, so like, what the fuck, it doesn't have real value. It's like, who the hell are you in cash, right? When was like, like, we don't use cash. Like, yeah, I guess we have cash if someone gives us a birthday card with a $100 bill in it. But I'm, when I swipe my card, I'm trusting that a network of servers is transferring my value in my bank account to someone else's bank account. That's all that's happening. There's no exchange of money. It's just exchange of information. Yeah. So I kind of understand why um, Bitcoin is there. It gets its value out of being a finite resource, right? Because it gets mined and then it gets... Well, that's another part. And we haven't got another. there yet. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so let's just let's just finish up the structure segment. So there's like the blockchain itself, which let's use this uh, flea market metaphor. The blockchain itself is the flea market, right? And all of the people, all the vendors in the flea market are the different coins? Um, no, not coins. Well, I guess coins, like tokens that are built on it, right? So to finish off the metaphor, anybody, so anybody can build a application, like a use case, right? Whether it's a DeFi project or a gaming for protocol or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the vendor showing up to the flea market. Mm-hmm. Then all the investors or users or whatever can show up and they can decide to interact with that application or that vendor. And the thing is like, we don't need to, again, this is that trustless part. We don't need to trust very much. We do have to trust their code and that they're not scammers, but we don't have to trust that what, what exchange actually exchanged because we know it did. It's verified by the blockchain. And we don't really even have to trust the blockchain because it's um, that decentralization factor. Like we trust Bank of America, right? Or we trust US Bank, or we we trust these banks to that every time I log in, the money that's in that bank account is accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trusting an organization with computer servers. With uh, with cryptocurrency, with blockchain, we're not trusting an organization with servers. We're 
we're trusting this one server. Like Bitcoin is basically a server. Ethereum is a server, but it's being verified by all these different parties that have. Yeah. Okay. Raise your hand. <laughs> it's a server. I was interchange some words here. Okay, but here I am. I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. Do I have? Because pretend I'm a person. Well, pretend I'm a person, a person who who's a a, a crypto hater. Do I have reason not to trust the banks? What's wrong with the banks? I, I personally don't have the whole anti-bank mentality. Um, like, I, I don't think that I'm going to show up one day. Now, so here's what a bank can do. Actually, to your point, a bank can determine, because of whatever regulations are following, um, that they need to freeze your account to find out what's going on. Right? You know who can freeze your account, your hardware wallet or your wallet or whatever? Nobody. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like I have this distrust of banks and whatever. Um, to me, it, the the battle against traditional finance is a different battle when it comes to DeFi. Not, like, it's not like, a, you know, there's some like crypto ethos people that just don't want that power and ability, right, and a centralized force or whatever. But at the same time, huge Bitcoin mining farms get enough of them together. They can kind of, you know, they, they do put updates and changes on Ethereum and on whatever. And so there's, there's always some amount of centralization, um, which is, that's the part that kind of concerns me, but that's a whole different thing. Really? Interesting. It's not like a real concern, but it's like a, it's a hypothetical concern. Okay. We'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. So we've covered a blockchain, a coin. Do we want to get into mining? I feel like that's really So that's part of it. It's not that complicated, I don't think. So actually what you said was Bitcoin has a finite supply that's accurate. And so what mining is, is, you know, if you're willing to put your computing power towards being one of those verifiers of the network, uh, you got to be paid to do that because you can't do it for free, right? You're using electricity and hardware investment and all that. So Bitcoin is produced on a supply, a set supply schedule, right? And which is why it's compared to mining. So, you know, if you were mining gold, you're putting in resources and then the output is gold, right? So when you're mining Bitcoin, you're putting in resources, which is power, hardware, whatever. Um, and the output is Bitcoin. And so you get paid Bitcoin. But it, the, the nice thing about it is that, you, you know, comparing it to gold, there is no uh, known supply of gold, right? What the Winklevoss twins said was, Eventually, Elon Musk will fly to asteroids that are full, full of gold and it'll start raining gold down on the earth, <laughs> which will make gold effectively valueless. The right? funny thing is, that's, I feel like that's not how it will possibly Yeah, I mean, it's probably real expensive. Like, so it's a counter, just for fun, it's a counterintuitive Elon Musk investment, right? Because if he wanted to invest the money into getting to an asteroid to mine gold, when he brought that gold back, the gold would be worth less because there'd be now more gold on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it does, you would we would never mine an asteroid because you'd be devaluing the thing you're trying to get. So it doesn't make any sense. Sure. So, but what is actually happening when you're mining a coin? So you're just, uh, basically, I think I'm probably the, almost the wrong person to ask this, like, what's the computer actually doing? Yeah. It's just... just Verifying the blockchains, verifying transactions. Now, how it does that, I don't know. Software that smart people named Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> or, you know, with Ethereum, it's the same idea. It's just look at it as uh, 
I mean, I, I couldn't get into the technicals of what's actually going on there. I just know that it's like a consensus network, essentially, and it's creating blocks of consensus, essentially, and of history, right, of, okay. of records. So creating records. So if, you, agreeing. so if you do enough of that with whatever, like, you buy to do that, you create enough consensus, it rewards you with a piece of Bitcoin. Yeah, kind of like... Every time there's a new block, all the uh, mining pools are competing to be the one to verify the next block. It's like a race, right? Okay. So whichever pool gets that next block is the one that gets the Bitcoin reward. It's like a great gold rush. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Magic internet rush. Magic internet money rush. Okay. All right. So where is crypto stored? I hear, like, what is a wallet? Okay. So crypto is actually stored on in this ledger right the ledger records what wallet holds what what a wallet does is it gives you access to that blockchain store like it's not like all a wallet is is you you put in a seed phrase like a like a password basically that grants you access to move from you know to transfer funds so you could you could have a hardware device with enough you know, all the hardware device stores is that password, that seed phrase. It's not like it's actually storing, you know, it's, it's storing records of information or giving you access to records of information. So it's stored on chain, right? Because think about it, like, I can take the password from that I loaded a wallet up in one spot for the seed phrase on the same password for you for like easy, easy understanding. And I can go put that same one in a different computer and have the same access point, right, to the same wallet. So a wallet is just, it's like, is it like when you... Gateway is how I look at it. Is it similar to when you log into your own bank account, essentially, and you're able to see all of your different... That's a good way to look at it. Like, the only difference is Bank of America or whatever bank is, um, U.S. Bank is storing that information and it's giving you an access point. So the blockchain is storing that information and the seed phrase is the access point. I feel like I understand that on a surface level. Yeah. That's all I need. I don't even think there's, you know, like when you get into the technicals of it all, like I actually don't really try all that hard to understand it all that deeply. You just trust it. Oh, that's what's not, that's trustless. See, Um, I'm not good at that. I need to know why. Here's like with Bitcoin, like it's worked for 11 years, right? So I trust that when I type in that thing, it's going to show me what it's supposed to be showing. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So speaking of Bitcoin working for 11 years, I also on the Twitter see talk of like Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus, is it called altcoins or like the little guys? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are the differences between Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the altcoins? Like what is, is is there an incentive to owning altcoins? So the difference is always use case or investment use case or like thesis for investment, I guess. So like Binance Smart Chain, for example, is a blockchain that enables essentially like smart contracts, which lets people create these applications, you know, these financial applications that we then interact with. Currently, there's nothing like that for Bitcoin. Um, yeah, the Bitcoin DeFi will probably become a thing at some point, but it would be really expensive. And Bitcoin's purpose is not to, because there's higher transaction fees. You know, so what Bitcoin brings to the table is uh, the value is in the 
information and security. So if everyone knows the, the exact supply schedule, that's actually incredibly valuable alone, right? Because there's something to be said about like a predictive asset supply, mm -hmm. you know, like, because nothing hurts markets more than uncertainty. So there's an element of Bitcoin where there's 100% certainty. You know what the supply will be tomorrow. It feels more stable, secure, reliable. Right. So it is actually, and I, and I don't want to even use the word like monetary supply because I don't look at Bitcoin as money at all. I think that's the incorrect view of it. Uh, but all money is is value, right? It's it's a representation of labor is what money is. So um, I would almost say that, sorry, I think I lost my train of thought, but yeah, so Bitcoin, we know what the supply will be. It's a guarantee. So we know that unlike with the U.S. dollar, you know, the Fed makes decisions that they think is best for the overall U.S. economy. And I'm not one of those people that has a problem with that. They got to do what they got to do, right? People complain about this stuff, but then it's like, do you really want a massive recession? Like, no. Like, they will do what they need to do. They will enact monetary policy to keep the United States moving forward. And, like, the world needs that. So that is part of the deal. Um, but that also means that, well, holding cash is a, from an investment standpoint, it's not an investment, right? Cash is, is a utility token. If we look at it as a cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. I love cash because, or just us dollars, not even cash. I'm just using cash like as a hypothetical term, but you know, in your bank account, whatever the thing you spend, its job is to buy you things yes. or its job is for you to receive value for labor like from your job. Mm -hmm. Uh, but from there, storing it, unless you need immediate access or like having enough where something went wrong, you have access to money. Storing value as U.S. dollars is uh, a guaranteed depreciating asset. It always goes to it always loses value. It's guaranteed to. Yeah. Um, so what Bitcoin provides is something where um, it's. It's just like any other, uh, it's, all, it's like a commodity, right? So it's like gold or silver or whatever, only it, it's like a, a gold or a silver, but with better characteristics where, you know, gold is not valuable because of jewelry and electronic use cases. Gold is valuable because enough people would like to hold gold as a way to hedge against inflation of dollars. Right. Right. Okay. So... I want to come back to altcoins because I still don't fully understand that. But while we're on the subject. Okay, well, I was going to get there next. Okay. okay. Let me just ask you this first. Is cryptocurrency intended to be used as a currency or an investment? I think that cryptocurrency, and I, I wish they would have named, never named it cryptocurrency. They should have called it crypto assets, right? There you go. Because crypto is cryptography. So like that's just a you know, defining word within itself. That's like the, that's the technology with the, the stuff going on. I've never heard that before. You just blew my mind. But okay. Yeah. And so, and then currency, well, what is currency, right? Again, I've already defined currency as a, it's a, a medium of exchange and it's a way to just represent the value that we all agree upon, right? So if I make $20 an hour doing a job making widgets. I'm, this is like so econ textbook. I'm a widget maker. I want to. I run a widget factory. This is like literally every econ textbook example. 
It's all about widgets. Okay. And the thing is, because widgets represent anything, right? You can make anything, but you're making everything is a widget. Fair enough. Right? It doesn't matter if it's pencils or cars, right? Okay. You create widgets. Got it. So if I get paid to create widgets, mm-hmm. um, the money they're paying me is the value of the widgets. Okay. Right? Yes. They're not actually paying me the value of time. Like, yes, I value it as time. But what matters is what's the thing worth that I'm producing, right? Mm-hmm. That's where, like, you know, a lot of people, when they're looking at how much they get paid, they say, like, I really deserve more. And it's like, well, what value are you creating? So that's what incentivizes developers, excuse me, developers who are making cryptocurrency to make them valuable. Because if it's not inherently valuable, right, if it doesn't have actual value to the consumer in some way, then no one's getting yeah, it. Exactly. And so there has to be, um, you know, use case. And so like use case for what's being produced. So like if you work in a, a pencil factory, you know, um, most likely the value of your input isn't very high, right? Because in that pencil factory, it's probably machinery and Disney someone that's going to like operate or just QC or whatever. Um, you know, and depending on how much value you contribute to the finished product and the value of the finished product, uh, that will determine really, I don't know how I got here, but, um, you know, but then like, if you're producing custom cars and you're one out of 5,000 people that can do it on the planet, then obviously you're, you're, you know, the value of the product you're producing is, uh, is much higher. Yeah. Okay. So therefore, so, you get paid more. Okay. So it, but it can also be used as a currency, correct? Well, what's a currency? Well, like there's if, people. If, if you said, "I would love to get paid in apples," because I love the shit out of apples. Apples a currency. But can it can it pay your bills? Like someone said on Twitter, um, I don't think it's a currency until you can buy milk with it. Could I buy milk with my crypto? Um. If. If the milk seller accepts cryptocurrency, accepts Bitcoin, then yes, you can. But if they don't, then no, you can't. Okay, but what I'm getting to is it can be exchanged for U.S. dollars. Yeah. Right? So it's not like... like it doesn't think, mean, Go ahead. I think people have this idea that cryptocurrency is just like magical internet money that doesn't actually exist. But in reality, it's quite easy from what I understand. I've never actually done it before, but you do it every week. So it's actually pretty easy, right, to exchange it for U.S. dollars to pay your actual I can, real life. I can get cryptocurrency faster into my actual bank account in the form of dollars than I can any stock we're invested in. Any stock will take about four days. The clearing time to go from cryptocurrency to bank account is like eight hours. All right. Now, also, if you have so if you have like a crypto.com card, you can turn your crypto into spendable cash in about 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. So... What I would argue is, and this is where people get hung up on the word currency, like is, um, so yeah, there's, you know, there's obviously companies you could buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. So let me ask you something. There's, there's, uh, or like uh, at some stadiums now, they actually accept cryptocurrency as forms of payment. You can go buy concessions with uh, cryptocurrency. So like my, my argument to them is, well, hey, I think it's a stupid point to make. They're like, because the specific thing that I want to buy I'm choosing to define this as a currency because it has to buy the thing I want it to buy. 
Like, okay, I challenge you to go to another country with your U.S. dollars and go buy some shit. It's not going to fucking work. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to convert that to the currency they accept. That right? makes sense. Or vice versa. Someone comes here with, like, Russian rubles and they go to a convenience store and the person's like, I won't take that. Yeah. Right? However, you can go buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. So I doubt you could buy a Tesla with pesos right now online. So does that mean that a peso is not a currency? But no, it is. Okay, but here's where my brain is going next. So it is kind of sort of a currency and kind of also an investment, right? I've You've told me the story of the $40,000 pizza or whatever it was. It's a jillion dollar pizza. Okay, so I'll have you tell the story, but also like what would be the incentive to buy a Tesla for $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, whatever that is, only for like, that seems like a lot of Bitcoin to, if I had that much Bitcoin two or three years from now, wouldn't it be more valuable? Just well, right where it's at. Depends. And then this is still like, does it, is it, to me like that, like, yeah, so someone bought a pizza with Bitcoin and they spent however many, 10,000 Bitcoins on the pizza, which is now like a million dollars or whatever, right? Yikes. But also not yikes. So like most, for most of my jobs, I get paid in cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. So are we supposed to live on a box in the streets because our investment in crypto could be worth more later? I don't know. Actually, now that you put it that way, it's kind of we're like to think about that. No, 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 <laughs> no, but, no, but this way, like, yeah, you know what? So people have um, investment accounts. So let's, let's just start looking at like stocks. People own stocks. And when stocks go up, because stocks always go up uh, over time, that like if you're job as a trader or something or, or you're a swing trader like yeah you cash out to go pay for your life expenses right it's not like you don't so so it, the answer is it's both it can serve well, whatever use you, makes the most sense for you well yeah it's whatever like yeah like if if crypto goes up a lot you should probably convert some to cash because that's just taking profit on the investment and, and minimizing your risk yeah or just taking the risk off the table exactly um, take out what you put in. To so, like, is is it a, a currency or is it an investment? I would say it's an. It's like all things where people get hung hung up on terminology, but it's just a uh, it's a store of value. Everything is a store of value, right? A TV is a store of value. Mm-hmm. It's all you know, and it's uh, whatever makes sense in your personal financial position. So, like, maybe we would buy a Tesla with Bitcoin because. We don't have a lot of cash, right? We don't hold a lot of cash. We hold primarily investments. And so instead of selling the Bitcoin to get the cash to buy the Tesla, you can just give them the Bitcoin. It just makes it easier, right? So obviously, like on our day-to-day expenses, that's not practical because, you know, it's still a volatile investment, like all investments. So you, you need to use money, but okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's like, yeah, you would buy stuff with Bitcoin because otherwise you have to sell it for cash to buy the stuff you want. Okay. So I feel like this is a good place to segue back into the altcoins. So how does one decide which crypto or coin or whatever is the most valuable for them to put their dollars into? Um, I guess current, current and future use case, right? So the crypto is only going to be worth as much as people are willing to pay for it and how many, like how much demand there is for it. Okay. Can we talk about shitcoins? Yeah. 
I feel like certain coins, who I will not mention by name, only go up and down because of the publicity that they receive. Yeah, it's a casino. So is that kind of like a worth, like I, I think it's really dumb to put money into a coin that's only going, quote unquote, to the moon because someone is tweeting about it. Okay, Am so, I stupid so for like, feeling that way? We're talking about Dogecoin. <laughs> Let's get into Dogecoin. Dogecoin Let's go there. Dogecoin is interesting. I have a love-hate relationship with So Dogecoin. part of it is, um, you know, there, I mean, a huge part is like gamblers, right? It's like, yeah. let's see how high we can pump this thing. I want to make money. But I, I'm starting to, so like, I think I told you, like we had bought it, like let's say like a year ago, then we sold it for like four cents. And I was like, oh, I'm a genius. I sold it for four cents. It's going to zero. <laughs> and then now it's like 60 cents. So who was the asshole, right? <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, it's a blockchain. And use cases could be developed from it, or it could be accepted at more places as forms of payment. Mm-hmm. So I think where I and a lot of people miss the boat or miss something interesting is if there's a guy, we, we don't even need to mention his name. There's a guy on Twitter. He's got a big following. Big following. He's Huge one, following. He's what, one of the top two richest people on the planet sure. uh, who was able to take a car from the company that he owns and strap it to the rocket from the company that he owns and shoot it into outer space um, is tweeting about something. We don't know what his plan is. Is he going to integrate it into Tesla technology? Is he going to do something with it? I don't Wouldn't know. Wouldn't that be illegal for him to do that if he's pumping the coin on Twitter? He's allowed to say whatever he wants. That feels like... Is there is there an ethics conundrum? I mean, there there may be an ethics conundrum if he isn't planning on doing something with it. If he was planning on doing something with it, then I would think that what he's doing makes a lot of sense. I feel like we're getting into conspiracy territory here. I just think that when um, you know, when you know, obviously Musk is eccentric and uh, likes to have it's fun. Yeah. I see nothing wrong with it. I love it. And he's having fun, you know, he, he, he gets to do whatever the hell he wants. He shoots rockets into space, right? Like, do whatever the fuck you want. You know, he's he's making the biggest impact on global warming out of anybody on the planet via all the electric stuff he works on. So this guy can do whatever he wants. I just don't like it on principle. I think it's dumb. And I hate to be the person leaving money on the table, but also it's annoying. Well, it's, you just feel annoyed because I sold it for cents. Uh, 60 cents. <laughs> but I won't. I don't hate on anything, and the reason I don't hate on anything is because of my um, my general crypto thesis from the very beginning was. And I wrote an article about this. Right? We don't know what people are going to develop in the future, and to act like we do know is a major like false arrogance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's going to happen to Dogecoin, and so... if people want to take a bet on you know, it's going to the moon and, and whatever, they could be right. Okay. And I think you've made an interesting point because there's something to be said for spreading your, um, I don't know, your value amongst like diversification. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Mm -hmm. So smart. Um, because I think you tried to explain this, this to me once and I won't do as good of a job as you do, but basically like Bitcoin has come so far because I used to be a huge proponent of like, why are you putting money into these coins when you should be putting it into Bitcoin? Blah, 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 blah. Well, Bitcoin has already come a long way. And so if you invest it into other coins, there's more room for them to grow. Markets of scale is the terminology. Yeah. 
where yeah, for Bitcoin to double, there needs to be a lot more value investment than, well, now at this point, for, for Doge to double, still way less than Bitcoin, but, you know, it, it grew a lot. It got a ton of investment behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? Maybe Elon Musk owns a billion dollars worth of Dogecoin. He freaking might. But, um, yeah, so... I think when you like build your crypto portfolio, you look at, you want to have some room for growth, right? Everything has its purpose. Do you have a suggestion? Like how, like what percentage? percentage you can, you can Whatever your risk profile is. That's fair. Yeah. So, you know, I think, and as people's portfolios grows, that risk profile changes. So people have, who have bigger room for risk could explore some of the smaller coins with less um, weight on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. People who have very little to risk should probably stick to stuff that's pretty well developed. Yeah, like Ethereum, Bitcoin, BNB, okay. whatever. That makes sense. Yeah. Let's say I'm a person who has, you know, the means to be looking at all the little guys. What do I look for in one of the little guys? You look for a potential use case. So, so use case drives yeah. demand. It's all about demand. So you want something where people want to buy it because it's it's useful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but things are useful in different ways. Again, Bitcoin is useful, not as a way to go buy milk. It's a terrible financial instrument to buy milk with. But you could if you wanted to. The fee to buy the milk will cost more <laughs> than the milk, right? It would be, be a foolish uh, thing. But to think that that's the only use case for Bitcoin, in my opinion, makes you an idiot, right? It's like you're latching onto this. If it's not a currency, it's not. there's no reason to buy it. Uh-huh. Uh, to me, it just means the person doesn't understand it, right? So... The Bitcoin use case is um, a really, really good hedge against inflation and a bet into incredibly secure technology that future people will make even more useful than today, right? So if what makes Bitcoin so valuable is that it's so well established, among other things, but that's one of the things, then are you essentially taking a bet on all these other little guys? hoping that they become well-established because if they don't, then it's kind of pointless and useless and you threw away your money. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm essentially saying if I, if I hold a, now, of course, at the same time, not everything is a long-term hold, right? So I may look at something that says this serves a really good use that the market likes right now. And I want to earn from it, for example, liquidity pools. Okay. But here's my issue. What is a use? You keep saying like use, use case, this, that, the other. What is what is a use? Like, give me a finite example of what I'm looking for. Okay, so let's look at DeFi, um, and I'll just pick a. I'm gonna pick an Ethereum project. That way, I don't pull any favoritism in BSC. Okay. So we will look at Av or Ave, however it's pronounced, A A V. It is a borrowing and lending market. So the use case. Exactly, a decentralized bank. Okay. Um, for you to earn an interest on stuff that you lend to the market or to provide liquidity in the form of lending and then borrow to go do something else with your capital while you keep your uh, exposure to the, asset, the underlying assets that you hold. Interesting. So the use case is exactly that, right? Okay. People have reasons that they want to borrow. Other people have reasons that just want to park some funds and earn some interest. Um, so. You know, so that project has a very good fundamental use case. We didn't talk about contracts, but what you're talking about is 
how they write the contracts determines the use or the economics or whatever mm -hmm. of the token, right? Yeah, so there's always different schemes, right? Economic schemes that they build into these. Because ultimately each project wants to attract people to use their project. Mm -hmm. So there's there's constantly, it's almost like a, a constant one-up thing, right? Like someone launches something, the next person forks that and tries to make it a little better. The next person forks that or takes a combination of concepts and brings them together. Mm -hmm. So a use or a use case could in theory be anything. Like anything. So we have banks. What are other? It, well, so I'm going to challenge could, you here. Okay. Let's, uh -oh. look at, let's look at blockchain as the internet. Okay. Now let's go back in time to 1995. All right. you could do was send emails back and forth. Right. And someone could be saying, or someone did in a Newsweek article, saying this is the stupidest shit ever, right? It's a big scam. All right. these companies launching, it's a big scam. But mm -hmm. why would anyone ever use this for anything? Now internet runs the world. I guess that's where I'm going so, is... So we don't know the use cases. They're almost infinite. Like, it, it is infinite. In theory, you could replace our current economic system entirely and that's just one use case well but that but the whole economic system covers all the use cases right no <laughs> so if you're talking about like financial markets that's one use case where it is blockchain is more efficient and it's more secure than existing systems that's one use case uh but in terms of the economy i guess you're right where like let's say supply chain management is another big one so right now, companies, you know, they're shipping companies, they're receiving companies, they're suppliers, there's vendors, there's all these different mm -hmm. market participants. Mm -hmm. And typically they have to, I mean, I'm not an expert in supply chain management, but I would imagine that let's look at fish, right? And this is already actually a, a real use case that is like a fundamental to why I think this will be a thing. Okay. So let's say you're a you're a fisherman, you're a fisherwoman. <laughs> You're what kind of fish am I fishing? You're a fisher person. You're catching tuna. And <laughs> tuna? So you catch the tuna. How about something pretty? You take your boats. So you're not, nobody, buy, no one's eating seahorses. This is about. For pets. No, we're not talking about pets. This is, <laughs> ocean, this is ocean to table. Fair so you, you catch tuna. Um, okay. You take it to the dock and you, I'm assuming most likely, if you're, especially if you're like an independent Fisher person, um, you know, you basically get paid by some big supply company probably to, oh, here's the, here's my catch and they give you your money. Then okay. that fish needs to be processed, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. like the tuna we buy at the store is just a giant tuna. So it goes to a warehouse, warehouse or Where we're stuck on the seahorse thing. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, so the fish gets processed and then it changes hands again. Right, then it goes to a grocery store probably next, right? Yeah. And then there's there's uh, trucking companies in between all this that have to move it from point A to point B. Uh, then it, you know, and then I go to the store and I buy it. And I've got a, uh, you know, there's always a sell-by date, right? This is where this when this really comes in handy. So, the, you know, right now there's, let's say there's five different companies participating into the management of that one fish filet. That came all the way from the ocean. My little tuna baby. Yeah, the tuna went from from the ocean into our smoker, right? That's, <laughs> so sad. That's where that's what happened to this to this tuna. Okay. And so, the question is, how do we know where? So we we get a package like 
fresh Atlantic tuna, right? Whatever it is. We don't know where it came from. The grocery store doesn't really know where it came from. Everyone's trusting where it came from. But this is not a trustless network, right? This is a, um, literally, we have to assume that every tuna market participant from Mm -hmm. point A to point B, Mm -hmm. uh, from point A to point Z, was uh, telling the truth. Now, what if that tuna could be somehow scanned in at point A so it's caught? Essentially, it becomes its own individual token, so a piece of information. A tuna token. <laughs> it's a tuna token. <laughs> and okay. when we get it on our end, we can scan that and see what happened to it, right? So it's on this open database, a completely open, trusted database. Okay. That's blockchain. Like, because I can't look at the database of, uh, what's, a, what's a tuna company? Or, you know, or uh, let's just go with Price Chopper, right? Okay. I can't look at Price Chopper's database of information, right? That's mm-hmm. why would they share that with me? And look at their... Why would they want me to see the fact that most likely they're relabeling shit to sell it, right? Mm. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> well, okay, allegedly. Like, you uh, I mean, we're just totally making this up. So let's just call it Grocery Store. Let's not get sued by Price Chopper. <laughs> yeah, so Price Chopper is excellent. You know, it's a great, it's a great grocery store. I'm a big fan. Family-owned and operated, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Someone. Some family owns it. Um, so, you know, the, the, what it comes down to is why, why are supply chain databases not public? I'm a consumer, and I want to know where my, my tuna came from mm. or my bread or this. I, I want to know that information. And also, and then think about in terms of the grocery store, right? They're buying it from somebody. Don't you think they want to know where this came from to make sure they're telling the truth? I don't know. I feel like most people trust other people. I'm not that skeptical. No, it's not about skepticism. Now I'm talking about efficiency, (laughs) right? So the grocery store that's selling it to you accesses the same database as everyone else. Everyone's accessing the same data. It's transparency. It's transparency and it's efficient uh, movement of information, which is what blockchain is, right? Because think about it then. Let's go back to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Store of value is, is okay. So cryptocurrency is all information, right? Isn't it's all information? Let's talk about it's, that it's it's digital information. That's what is I feel like going to confuse me. So it's digital information. Is it coded? Would you have to understand the code to be able to read the? No, because so when I log into my when I open my wallet and I see that I have a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? That's not a, that's just information, right? It's information that anyone can But where access. am I seeing all of the information about my tuna and where it came from? And all that? You'd have to have a, a, a front-end user interface to see it. But then you have to trust the user interface. Or, or the blockchain. Or you, Yeah, if you're smart enough, probably you can audit it and make sure that tuna coin token A, which represents the tuna in our house, uh, we could follow its origin all the way to distribution and purchase. Hmm. So... And then, okay, like, look at medical records. Mm-hmm. How do you, like, what if you could tokenize your medical history? This so is that, a million dollar idea. Yeah, it's already being done, right? So um, instead of all these different hospital systems that don't communicate, mm-hmm. you create a U.S. healthcare blockchain, or it's built on Ethereum probably or something like that. And the transmission of information becomes a thousand times more efficient. Because right now, that is it. So you have all these industries 
where they're incredibly inefficient for 2021. So they have different software. It's like getting one hand to talk to the other hand isn't. It's all just one hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all just one fluent thing, fluid thing. Um, And so, yeah, these use cases are endless. Um, This would like, then you get into like NFTs. Couldn't someone, let's say I develop a um, health record, medical record, blockchain, token thing. Okay. So couldn't someone else develop another one and then we have the same issue? Or there's more than one? And No, because all you have to do is make it so that, um, the, the, I bet you people will, there will be multiple developed. But, um something I don't know the I forget the exact term, but you make it so it's accessible on various blockchains and different applications or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would think that if a healthcare system, let's say Cerner decided we're gonna go build this blockchain version of what we have in real life, like mm-hmm. our software system, they would and they wanted it like as a closed system so no one else could access it. Well, they just rebuilt their same software, right? So it actually wouldn't be useful and it wouldn't have any additional value. But then the company that said, we're going to make an open source system so every healthcare chain in the United States or in the world can tap into it. That has value. Is that possible? Of course. It's all possible. Open source meaning it's free to the companies, the healthcare companies themselves? Yeah. like um, Which would be a huge incentive for them to, because I'm sure that medical records, electronic medical records, cost millions of dollars. Let's use the... The already occurring version of this. Um, all of these DeFi protocols are just financial products, basically, or financial systems, or you know, offering types of banking services. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to recreate the, the wheel every time they do it. They just tap into the existing network that people are already using. So it makes it incredibly cheap and efficient to, and this is it's a, this is a big thing about and this is why it's gonna wrap, I think it's gonna rapidly transform, like you said, our whole economy. Because typically, like, if I want to start a new bank, I just can't. But I think much of an investment fund you need to do that with, um, the regulatory requirements, the blah, 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 blah. Now, oh, someone that wants to build a lending protocol can just do it, right? So barrier to entry is really low, which also means barrier to innovation is really low. Well, there's some barrier to entry. I mean, to develop something. Yeah, you either need to be a developer or have the funds to pay a developer, but that's not the same thing as creating a out, you know, in the off-chain world, a similar system. Okay, so this leads me to um, another thing that I wanted to talk about, and then I'll ask you one more question and then we'll wrap up. So let's talk about um, we talked about development, how there's a small barrier to entry, but it's much smaller than any that exists currently in our traditional economy. So can we talk about all of the ways that um, crypto is, you're able to make money in crypto tangentially to cryptocurrency without necessarily investing in it yourself? So um, you become a crypto developer, you become an artist for all of these different personalities. I don't even want to dive into NFTs because I, I still I have no idea what that is or how it works. I kind of have an idea of how it works, but it's beyond my comprehension. So, so yeah, of course you can be a trader, right? Mm-hmm. And you can make create income from trading. Mm-hmm. Um, you can work for all the emerging 
projects and companies that are that are building. So it's going to stimulate our economy in that way as well because there's job like it's job creation, yeah, global job creation. And I, I actually, you know, there's a guy named Ivan on Tech, and he does like real, he's real funny, like real ridiculous YouTube personality, and he he puts on this, uh, he has like a workshop on how kind of like I think it's like elementary level coding, right, or something like that. And his whole sales pitch is like, have you ever heard the same stack sets? So a Satoshi is like a, the smallest way to break down a Bitcoin. Like once Satoshi is oh, like cute. very cute. Yeah. <laughs> I um, love Satoshi. So you know the so the saying is stacking sats is like always be accruing more Bitcoin. And, and he has this whole pitch of the best way to stack sats is to do something and get paid in Bitcoin or to get paid in dollars and buy Bitcoin or whatever. Mm, um, and okay. I actually fundamentally agree with that because trading. Didn't work out for me. Not that I tried that hard, but I tried hard enough to know that it just to crash you for most people. So what do you do instead? Well, you either save, you know, you save money and invest, or you get a job in crypto and you get paid in crypto. But aren't you also making money from something called um, liquidity? So okay, so you're talking about actual like ways to use crypto to make money. That's not no, I'm I'm talking about what you're talking about. So but... you could you could take Bitcoin, lend it into one of these financial markets, right? Yeah. You just earn Bitcoin as interest on your Bitcoin. You don't have to do yeah. anything. So that's one way. From what I understand, that's more so what you focus on now, right? So then that, trading is actual. Yeah, I don't. Of course, like, like me change positions, right? So trade in that sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. um, but yes. So So the um getting paid. So, Bitcoin. so there's that. Then there's yeah, once you have cryptocurrency, you can provide it as liquidity to DeFi markets. Right, so that's how you you help sustain that uh, that that big flea market, right? The, the liquidity providers are the ones that make it all possible, and so in return for that, like you're you're almost providing a service, right? Your liquidity is at work. Is that lower risk than investing in an actual coin itself? Well, you have to own the coin to do that. Oh, okay. So it's only you know the risk is associated to the to the platform to make sure that it's not a scam or there's no bugs or, or whatever. And then also in the coins that you choose to provide liquidity with. So if you choose a shitty project and you provide its token as liquidity, you're probably just going to lose a lot of money. But you can take stable coins, you know, it's pegged to the dollar. You can provide that as liquidity with Bitcoin. So you've got dollars and you've got Bitcoin, right? Those are both assets that you could probably feel pretty good about long term. So and earn interest and fees and stuff. Gotcha. So there's get paid for an actual job in Bitcoin, which there's in a Bitcoin, couple. job in Bitcoin. You're going to call a Bitcoin company? No, no, no. I mean, for like, for an actual, what I meant was a real world job. So like there's people who do real world, like the football player who got his bonus, his signing bonus, his signing bonus in Bitcoin, right? Yes. And then there's people who get jobs that are related to cryptocurrency. So like the, um, I don't know, writers for BSC News. Right. And I think that's the so, coolest part because yeah. they're literally all over the world. So you're creating opportunities. For and so remember we talked about a uh, barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, the, the whole crypto space is pretty much remote. Even Coinbase, I think, announced that they were just getting rid of offices mm-hmm. because there's something fu- just fundamentally, I want to say fundamentally cool 
with the fact that such a dad fundamentally cool <laughs> fundamentally cool yeah like so bsc news has uh we work with people in five continents mm-hmm. so which is pretty amazing it is and so the that you know bringing jobs to parts of the planet that have you know this 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 is free market at its finest in my opinion so like you know, typically what, what really, you know, what's traditionally happened is there's a country where, you know, there's no jobs, no money, no infrastructure. And so, you know, a government starts going in and basically like, you know, negotiating deals. Like, so the U.S. government was notorious for this for a long time, where it's like, we're going to help boost your economy. But in exchange, like, we're going to get bananas really fucking cheap from your country. Yeah. Right. And then we, it ends up just killing this. It destroys them. Right. And it's like, okay, well, how about we actually just bring work opportunities everywhere, all at once? Isn't that cool? I feel like that's something that you guys should feel. I mean, excuse me while I humble brag on your awesome corporate, not corporation, but company. Company. Yeah, we, we don't care where people live. We want talent. That is, but I think that's really cool. That and you then, guys... So the thing about this, we get someone that lives in the country that has little access to good jobs. We pay them, right? And then they can purchase assets, provide those to lending markets earn interest. So then they get access to financial instruments that they literally don't have never had access to before. Yeah. Which leads me into my final question before I want to wrap up. Conspiracy theory. Okay. So the difference, one of the major differences between crypto and traditional banks or stock markets is the barrier to entry, the big guy, you know, David versus Goliath, right? So why don't banks want to see, or why didn't they now? They're all jumping on the bandwagon. But before, they were anti-cryptocurrency. And why is that? So this is actually very interesting. So the, 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 the fundamental understanding of the David and Goliath story is often wrong. So who? this is actually a Malcolm Gladwell uh, historical context constructed theory, right? Or thesis, not theory. It's like a thesis. Okay. We're uh, going to pretend I knew you were going this way. You have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I actually love the David and Goliath story because it's actually not what people think it is. Okay. So, you know, I'll, I'll explain this part, but then I'll bring it into the, the banks and we can even apply it to like Netflix and Blockbuster. So, yeah. yeah it's good. <laughs> I feel like I've heard that and story. I think this is... This is a great way to wrap up this podcast, okay, really, because I love this. So the, the traditional understanding of David and Goliath was that Goliath was this just warrior monster, right? Monster warrior that David had no chance of beating. David was like this little shepherd, little shepherd boy. Goliath had all this gear on, you know, and it's just like, there's no way David's going to beat Goliath. Um, but then why would David fight him? Right. Let's let's like let's just so it's like ask the obvious question. Why would David fight Goliath? Like if I mean, uh, an immediate danger, did he have to? Well, what happened? The, 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 <laughs> the setup was the the Israelite army was about to fight the, oh, no. uh, like a Malachite history. army. I think it's I understand army. history about as well as I understand. Yeah. Right. Crypto. <laughs> so, I just added myself. Sorry. Continue. So, you know, these two armies were about to fight each other and it was going to be bloody and there was going to be a lot of life loss. Okay. So basically Goliath went down and this was actually common in the past, which mm-hmm. this is like something we should like try to bring back. Um, 
was basically a one-on-one battle. Whoever won it to save lives, right? Oh, and to save like uh, gladiators, sort of. Yeah, and okay. so you know they basically decided everyone send their best fighter and let's uh, let's just dig it out, and then we don't go fight in this ravine and everybody fucking dies. Sure. So Goliath goes down there. He's well known. He just he just murders everyone, right? Right. And so none of the like main fighters of the Israelite army wanted to take this guy on. Um, you know, because think about it, like, let's say there was some, like, warrior in our backyard. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, and let's say I'm like... Send the dog. Right? <laughs> Don't get So, like, let's say, you know, and then it's like, okay. And he's like, either, you know, send out your best fighter or, or I bring my army and, like, it's it's on, right? But let's say I'm just like, I'm a good fighter or something, which I'm not. But let's say that I am. I'm like, I'm not going to fight that guy. Like, he's, he's going to kill me, right? Right. He's going to kill me. Okay. So why would I fight him? Sure. So let's ask the question, why would David fight him? Because he was going to cheat. No, he wasn't going to cheat. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. Answer the question. Okay. Here's the, here's the answer. So David uh, was incredibly good with the sling. And a sling was like, think about um, how do we fight wars today, right? We shoot missiles. Mm-hmm. A sling at the time was the, that equivalent of like, you, sl- you throw a rock incredibly high speed with deadly accuracy, right? <laughs> So, and so like getting hit in the head or in a weak spot with one of these rocks just lights out and you're gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, now, so let's, this changes the game, right? Let's say that fighter's in our backyard mm-hmm. and I'm a marksman with, and I'll be like, hey, I'll fight you. And I, don't, I, I can stand a hundred feet away from him and just kill him. Mm-hmm. Right. So David says, I'll, I'll fight him. Now, why? Now, so David was a shepherd. How is he such a good slinger? He had to protect his flock from wild animals. So he's out in his daily profession, you know, slinging whatever wild animals to protect his, uh, <laughs> his flock, right? Or sheep or whatever he had with deadly accuracy, right? So what do you think is easier to hit in the head? Like a, a giant human or, you know, some nimble cheetah on the prowl trying to get your sheep? I don't, I don't know what animals they <laughs> whatever, have. Whatever yeah. wild animals they have. So David says, okay, you know, so Goliath is this huge mountain of a man, has this armor, blah, 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 blah. David just walks up and from a football field away, hits him right between the eyes with a rock, glides dead. So it's actually one of the most anticlimactic stories, really, of any, like, war history. Because that's, I see that as literally, like, you know, this bare-knuckle boxer goes up to a marksman and is like, come fight me. And the marksman's like, all right, I'll, I'll fight you. He just shoots him in the head with a bullet. I mean, right? it's so pretty cool, though. So basically, so what does this teach us? So there's other parts to it, though. So Goliath um, was incredibly slow. He was big. Uh, he was a great fighter, hand-to-hand combat. Nobody could take him down. But you you remove that part of it. He's incredibly slow. Uh, he couldn't see very well. He actually, the prediction is that he had this disease called like gargantuism or something. It's like a real thing where people are like seven foot five, right? And that's why he was like so gigantic. And, and typically, if you have that disease, like, you can't see well, you can't hear well, because he actually, you know, biblically, historically, he said something like, where are you? Why can't I see? Like, call him a coward. And it's like, because he can only see so far. So he couldn't even see David. Right? So not only is he going up against this expert marksman of the time, but he couldn't even see him. You know, so he's calling him a coward. You won't even come out here, right? And so now let's get into what's going on. So that's... So really, David had every advantage in that fight and just toppled him. Mm-hmm. And Goliath didn't even know it. 
So the, the mm, banks. You know what I'm getting at here? The banks, the banks are Goliath. They had a sum, they have underlying assumptions that what they do is the best way to do it. It's the only way to do it. It's how we do it, right? Mm -hmm. And guess what banks can't do? They can't be nimble. They're huge. Mm -hmm. You know, think about Blockbuster and Netflix. Blockbuster had this assumption that people just love coming to our stores on Friday night to buy M&Ms and rent their movie. It's a family, you know, it's an American family pastime. They really underestimated the laziness of Americans. <laughs> and just one, here, here. right? So Netflix says, hey, we can, we have this technology. We're going to deliver stuff to, right to people's homes. And Blockbuster's like, no way, that's stupid. Right, because they have these underlying assumptions of what they believe is right. And Netflix even offered to partner with Blockbuster, right? I don't know if they. I think they tried to sell themselves. Yeah, and Blockbuster was like, they yeah. laugh, the story is that they <laughs> laugh them out of the meeting. They right. literally laugh them out because of their underlying assumptions. So, if you look at who's been the biggest critics of cryptocurrency in the last few years, it's the CEOs of banks. Jeff, uh, Jamie Dimon, for one, was like, if I catch an employee talking about Bitcoin, I'll fire you. What are they doing now? They're, they're working on uh, Bitcoin products for their customers, mm -hmm. right? So they came in with underlying assumptions and they were wrong. And I think they're continuing to be wrong because what they don't realize is that other piece of the puzzle, which is the low barrier to entry of decentralized finance. So, and the, the bureaucracy that these banks have is going to end up being their downfall. The downfall for Goliath the thing that made him such a good fighter, right? The his size, his sheer size, ended up being uh, his downfall because it came with the other issues. He can't see well. He can't move at all. Right? Incredibly slow. Like the the the, the biblical story really paints the picture of this lumbering giant. Yeah, and so banks are lumbering giants. Right now, they're just figuring out Bitcoin. Right? That's not even DeFi. So decentralized finance, like if they were smart, if I were a bank, I would be trying to figure out how do I build protocols on something like Ethereum or Binance Smart Chain so I can leverage all my customer deposits. Because banks have what DeFi needs, which is a shitload of liquidity. Mm -hmm. And so what, what banks are seeing is they're seeing all these, uh, their, their customers' money leave to places like Coinbase. So like, oh my God, they're going to Coinbase to buy Bitcoin. That's what we need to offer. We got to make sure they can buy Bitcoin. But that's not the right move at all because it doesn't stop at Bitcoin. The money may flow into Bitcoin and move into DeFi, right? So the banks are, they're, they're Goliath. They're, they're slow. They are arrogant. And the, uh, this is just like, this is just traditional business history, right? Like what did Amazon do? I'm sure no, no uh, mall owner ever believed that this little online bookstore would ever be a threat. Mm. And then it's like all of a sudden it hits a tipping point, right? And then there's no coming back. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's what's our, I think that tipping point is already coming gone with the billions of dollars in DeFi. It's almost like their own bias is what's going to cripple them because mm -hmm. they've spent so much time in denial when the past 10 years, what they should have been doing is really trying to wrap their heads around it and understand it and understand Instead of looking at all the faults with it in the hopes that no one else would see the advantages, in the hopes that that would give them the edge. Their edge is liquidity, right? Their edge is they have all the money. When what they should have been doing is looking at all of the um, attractive features of DeFi and cryptocurrency and 
adopting mm -hmm. those and adapting and innovating. And as we learned with Blockbuster, if you don't innovate. Yeah. There'll be a documentary called The Last U.S. Bank. <laughs> right, it'll be it'll be in Alaska because that might people, be a stretch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think banks banks will be fine because people have a need for home loans, right? That are not backed. So, like in DeFi, currently in DeFi, you can only take a loan off against your own assets. So, no one yet has figured out how to bring in the you know the credit rating process or whatever. It just you know it's not tied in yet, but eventually that will be tied in, where you'll be able to take a traditional loan out. Um, you know, that's, who knows, maybe that's, that's years away, maybe, mm -hmm. or maybe that's what the banks start doing is they, they build DeFi, you know, like there's no reason why banks couldn't, and they will, certain banks will do this stuff. And those are the ones that really survive. Um, and I, and I bet you it's going to be the smaller ones, like the, the local credit union type banks are the ones that really will have the ability to change and adjust and adopt new technology. Yeah, I, I don't think them. Yeah, I don't think the big banks are going to have a lot of uh, ability to move quickly. They're the Goliath, right? That's, that makes sense. Yeah. So in our scenarios of outcomes, there really kind of is. I mean, there's this inevitable either cryptocurrency is going to, well, it kind of already has revolutionized how the economy works or it's all going to be completely devalued and drop to nothing and it will be worthless. And I think um, based off of our conversations and what I understand of it and just the evidence in front of us of what we're seeing happen with it, the chances that, you know, it drops to nothing are looking smaller and smaller. And I think there's a lot of people who think that once the United States regulates it, they're going to regulate and I just think this, they're going to regulate the heck out of it. And then it's going to be worthless. And people are going to be like, oh, well, I guess I'll go back to my bank or whatever. But one of the conversations that we've had or that you've, you know, challenged me on is really the something that's holding people out, that's keeping people from putting dollars into it is not knowing what will happen with regulation. And regulation almost legitimizes it. And it does. Entices more of the people who have more money to put their money there. I think right now the people that are really willing to use this DeFi stuff are the risk takers. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, there is that slight, but I, I, I kind of think non-existent concern that crypto actually gets regulated to death, right? To, to actual death, meaning outlaw, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's really physically possible. And like, even like US regulators are like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, because it has so much momentum. Yeah. So I think what does end up happening is there becomes regulatory clarity to where the, the less risky investors are like, all right, I am um, now I'm on board because the, that risk factor has dropped. And then, you know, and oftentimes those are big funds with a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, yeah, so I think you're completely right there where the regulation will make it so more investors feel comfortable. So more regulation is better. You're here. Yeah. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> so is this just a part one of the multiple series? Yeah, I feel like just, I feel like our next episode needs to be like diving into more of the terminology, like the trading bots and the things that I, liquidity pairing and 
things that I have, I'm just like totally mind blown by that yeah. I cannot wrap my brain around. Um, how do you feel about that? Let's do it. Staking. So for now, farming. let's call this podcast a wrap. You did an excellent job hosting. Thank Very you, good sir. Questioning. Thank you for uh, for helping me sort of kind of understand the, for the people out there. Okay. In conclusion, for real, for real in conclusion, for the people out there who are like me, who have no idea where to even start. Let's wrap up with three pieces of advice, your three most valuable pieces of advice to people who are just getting started in cryptocurrency. Um, three pieces of advice. Short and sweet. Okay. Only put in what you can afford to lose to start, for sure. Okay. Um, that's a good rule of thumb for any investment. Mm-hmm. Number two... Buy Bitcoin, right? If you're, if you're just going to buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> there you go. Um, and number three is really spend some time learning about it, understanding not exactly what it is, but like why. I think the why questions are important to understand. And to, to drop your own assumptions, because when you come into this space with little no assumptions, you, you can really start to see what the space has to offer. And also, don't, and number four, like don't chase bullshit. Pump it up. <laughs> Unless that's unless that's you're 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 having fun and you're gambling and that's fun. You know who likes to gamble? I have never won I'm, money at the casino. I'm not just yeah. throwing that out there. I think this has better odds than the casino sometimes, <laughs> but that's not yeah, like don't just jump on a hype token. Like really look into what you're buying. Alright. So maybe next time we can talk about um what to look for in knowing if something is a hype token. Is that what you call it? Sure. A hype token or not. I don't even know that. But we'll get into that next time. Thanks, you.